Being a working parent means that I am always rushing to make sure things are done. You know what helps? The OFS concierge services. If I know my husband will be on a trip, I'll order dinner ahead of time and just take it straight from the OFS fridge when I go home with my child. One less thing to worry about. Or when I'm about to host a party at my house, I'll use Housekeeping Delphine to clean my house before or sometimes after the party. The best part is part of their fees go back to my child's teacher who deserves so much. I love that I am getting a service and also giving back to her. Check out the OFS website at www.oldfirehouseschool.com to find out more about the concierge services, which include school lunches, nanny services, and a family photographer. Welcome to Fireside Chats on the Young Mind, brought to you by Old Firehouse School. I'm Dorothy Stewart, the founder and executive director, and I'm here today with Alex Dutton, the program director for our Lafayette campus. And we have a very special guest with us today. Our special guest is Julie Kurtz. We first met Julie at a workshop she gave at our annual conference, What Every Early Educator Needs to Know. Julie is the author of the book, Trauma-Informed Practice for Early Childhood Educators. Actually, she has a, a brand new book that is just out. So this is totally hot off the press. And it is called Culturally Responsive Self-Care Practices for Early Childhood Educators. So you can get that right now. It's on Amazon, on Amazon. right, Julie? Yep. So, Julie, let's just start by asking you, what about the work that you do now? What do you do? Oh, good question. I am the chief executive officer and the founder of an organization called the Center for Optimal Brain Integration. That sounds fascinating. What, what does, does it do? It do? What, yeah. Well, it's it's a great question. If you go to um, my website, which is optimalintegration.com, you'll find all the things that we do. But primarily, we focus on trauma and trauma-informed practices. We have several modules for early childhood providers, and we have modules for K through five, people who work with children in K through five, and then six through 12th grade. And so a lot of the work we do is on trauma. Wow. What got you involved in this topic to begin with, Julie? Oh, when I was a little girl, I used to have this recurring nightmare over and over where this big invisible man was chasing me around the garage and I couldn't get out of the nightmare. And I wanted to scream so that my parents would come and wake me up out of the nightmare. And I would try to open my mouth and no words would come out. No scream would come out. That's awful. I know. And it's, it, I realized later in life that it was a result of the trauma that I experienced as a child. And so when I grew up, I wanted to help kids and I, I worked in a group home. I worked in psychiatric hospitals. I worked in residential treatment facilities. I worked in foster care. And then I got into early childhood. And then over time, started to develop these trauma modules and start to train at conferences. And then I developed my own center. And now I'm training all over the country on trauma for all ages. Wow. Well, we're lucky that you're here with us today, Julie. So Julie, how do you define trauma? For the audience, I would say there's two important definitions to take away when we define trauma. Trauma number one definition is it's defined by the individual sensory system, not the event itself. So if you, Dorothy, fell off a bike and I fell off a bike and you thought it was funny, but I thought it was traumatic because my sensory system defined it that way, then that's how trauma is defined. But there's a second definition to trauma. And the second definition is that it has to have long-term adverse effects on you physically, socially, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually across the lifespan. 
So like from my trauma that I experienced when I went away to college, I had certain issues, unhealthy issues that I experienced and which led me to go into therapy. And you can have adverse effects socially, emotionally, physically, spiritually, or mentally Uh across the lifespan until you get support and help to try to heal. And then you can start to um, mitigate some of those symptoms. So it could really be that people can experience the same events, but will interpret them differently. And And also might have buffers around them. Like if you had a loving parent when you fell off the bike or almost drowned in a pool or when a car accident who helped you cry and talk and shake, those are the kinds of things that help you heal from trauma. Because after you've been through a traumatic event, it takes approximately three months for the trauma to store in your body. So you need buffering caregivers around you to help you release it and cry and shake and talk or non-verbally express it. And then it doesn't kind of stick inside of you and have those long-term adverse effects later. Are there ways to prevent that sort of thing happening with children? Yes. Many of you out there are serving kids who've been through trauma. In fact, in the United States alone, 50% of the children under the age of eight have experienced trauma. So when you're saying trauma in that sense, I mean, is it is it something like the death of a parent or... Oh, good question. Trauma can be many things. Acute trauma is a one-time event, like the death of a parent, being in a fire, a near drowning, something happened to you one time. Okay. It could also be cumulative trauma where you have something happen to you over and over and over again, like abuse. Okay. And so, and then, then there's also other forms of trauma, like historical trauma is things that happened way, way back in your generations. Mm-hmm. Many generations passed, but the generations passed down the nonverbal and verbal and behavioral clues of trauma yeah. okay. that also could be passed out without you ever having experienced anything. What are those behavioral clues of trauma? So behavioral clues. So there's a difference between challenging behavior and trauma behavior. Okay. You'll see that they look very similar, but children with typical challenging behavior, just because they have an immature brain and their brain takes 25 years to fully develop till it has the level of maturity where they can pause and think and have focal attention and problem solve and empathy and perspective take. It takes 25 years. So children with challenging behavior... We're going to have challenging behavior till they're 25, till they develop their brain muscle uh-huh. enough. Children with a trauma trigger are usually triggered by things that remind them of their trauma. For example, if you had someone, a man with a red shirt hurt you, and a man with a red shirt comes in to deliver a package to the Child Development Center, uh-huh. everyone else won't be triggered by that event. But that child gets triggered and it triggers the memory. It's called a trauma trigger. Okay. And the memories go down the highway memory lane all the way down to that stored trauma that never got released, that stuck inside of you. Mm-hmm. And it triggers a memory and then it makes the child go into this fight, flight, or freeze. And so sometimes the behavior of challenging behavior and the behavior of a trauma trigger look the same, but they come from a different place. One's from an immature brain and the child's trying to communicate I'm trying to gain something or someone, avoid something or someone, or express an emotion. So the challenging behavior is trying to express, I want to gain you or avoid you or gain something or avoid something Mm -hmm. or express an emotion. And a trauma trigger is trying to express, I feel unsafe and scared. It's like post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. I get sent back to a memory and I feel unsafe. And when I look at you, I'm no longer looking at you. I'm looking at my father or my mother or the memory of something that hurt me. So I'm terrified. So Julie, can you give us an example about how you'd work with a child, let's say, that had a huge uh, trigger trauma? There are many strategies that we teach. The top five strategies for buffering the toxic stress of a child that 
you may be serving who's experienced trauma, or maybe you don't know it's trauma, but you're predicting, you think it might be, it doesn't matter. The same strategies are good for children with challenging behaviors, with trauma triggers. And the way you heal, the way you build resilience, the way you buffer the toxic stress are five key strategies. One is nurturing responsive relationships. Mm -hmm. The second one is safe, predictable environments with routine and predictability, not a lot of triggers in the environment. And the third one is teaching proactively when children are calm, emotional literacy. I think that's an important step of, and like you said, when they're calm, don't wait until... Don't wait until they're triggered to right. teach because their they're not thinking be able brain to. is flipped off. Right. And when the thinking brain is flipped off, you can't pay attention or focus. You need to be calm. Right. So parents, teachers, educators, people who work with children should be proactively teaching what I call sensory and emotional literacy, but I won't talk a lot about sensory right now because that's a little more in depth, but sensory and emotional literacy. And then the fourth one is Mm self-regulation, teaching kids to build this toolbox of things they can do to calm their brain back down and their bodies so that they can use their thinking brain. I think of it like practicing a fire drill. You know, like we're not going to wait until we have a fire to practice a fire drill. You want to practice the movement and the motion of the drill. And it's on my head just because we had an emergency podcast we did. But you want to practice that movement so that when something happens, your brain already kind of remembers what you're supposed to do instead of just waiting until the actual traumatic and scary event. I feel like you went you must have gone to one of my trainings because honestly, (laughs) you are right on. I would be proactively practicing to raise children to be humane, to raise children with optimally integrated brains where the three parts work together. The reptile, which is responsible for fight, flight, freeze. The mammal, which is responsible for emotions. But the CEO, which takes 25 years to build, which is responsible for thinking and empathy and perspective and problem solving and self-regulation, takes 25 years. So we are brain builders. If you're Mm -hmm. a parent, you're an educator, how do you brain build? You teach four key steps. The first one is teaching children about emotions and sensations in their body. Mm -hmm. The second one is teaching them how to recognize when their emotions are small, medium, or large inside of their bodies. And the third step to growing humans to be humane is teaching them to build a self-regulation toolkit, those strategies to help calm themselves down when their emotions are in that orange or red zone. And the fourth thing we have to teach kids is how to problem solve, Mm -hmm. right? How to think through a problem so they don't hurt others themselves or property. And those are the four steps. And so if we do what you did, which is proactively walk kids through those scenarios over and over, they'll build body memories, neurosynaptic connectors. So when the real emergency comes, the real triggers whether it be trauma or just challenging behavior, they'll be more equipped to handle and deal and cope. So Julie, so after the fact, you said you are dealing with a group now that experienced trauma. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I'm working with a team of people up in Sonoma County who are actually wonderful. They are being trained to become trainers in one of my modules. And there's a woman who gave me permission to share this story. She said they had up in Sonoma area, they experienced a lot of the fires. They had go bags. Their phone emergency was going off all the time. They had to evacuate their home and go to a safe place. So their younger children experienced this with them. Fast forward later to after the fires, her son begged her, please, can we go to IHOP for free pancake day? Please, can we have <laughs> mom kept saying, no, 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 it's going to be crazy there. Beg, 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 beg. Finally, she said yes. After an hour of begging, uh-huh. they go to IHOP. They wait in line for like an hour. They right. get this seat. They're sitting down and her son says, I don't want to be here. I want to leave. Oh. Um, and she said, Julie, before I came to one of your trauma trainings, My old self would have said, you sit your butt back down right now. You begged me to go and you will eat here. Post-trauma training and learning more about the brain and how to proactively raise kids and pay attention and attune to them and their emotional needs, she paused herself 
as a parent and mm-hmm. said, what's going on with you? We can go, but tell me you begged, you wanted to go here. What is happening for you? After just being patient enough to sit with him, he lost his words. He couldn't say it, but he was looking at the kitchen and there's smoke billowing out of the kitchen from free pancake day. And it was triggering a memory of being associating the smoke with having to evacuate, right. feeling unsafe, almost wanting to throw up in the car, being sick to your stomach. And it was actually what we would call a trauma reminder, wow. trauma trigger. Yeah. Yep. So mom used trauma-informed responses, which is her tuned relationship to tune into what are you feeling before telling him, sit your butt back down. You begged me, you are sitting here and you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. Right? So instead of reacting, we pull ourselves back and wonder and be curious, what's the meaning of a child's behavior? What's it communicating? Great story. What if both the parent and the child or traumatized? Mm. How does an early childhood educator or help or person work with that family when they're both traumatized? Yeah. If children and families are both experiencing trauma, and in fact, we should remind ourselves that 67% of the adults, anywhere you go, any room, if you walk into a store, 67% of the adults that you look around and see have experienced at least one trauma before the age of 18. So we know that this is all of us, right? Mm -hmm. We're working with kids. You're working with kids out there. You've experienced trauma and you have to ground and support kids. Mm -hmm. That's why we wrote our second book that Dorothy mentioned in the series on self-care because I call it the number one strategy for healing trauma and supporting children is adult relationships with children and adults have to be regulated. Adults have to be calm because children who've experienced trauma are looking to the adult to sense whether they're safe or not. And if the adult is dysregulated, so your self-care outside of work is Uh really important. And also having a toolbox of strategies about how to keep yourself calm so we don't re-trigger children. But if you're an educator or somebody working with a parent and a child that's been through trauma, there are a lot of things. Every program should have a piece of paper of resources that they can refer the family to if Mm, they need it for supports, a therapist, a counselor, a support group. There are also five protective factors for adults. So if you're an educator, one of the things that you can be doing is teaching parents about child development. You can teach parents about social emotional skills. You can create community where families feel safe. If they have a safe place, they can go and they feel connected to other families, support groups, events, parties, potlucks, you're creating community so there's not as much isolation. So Mm -hmm. people have less toxic stress when they feel significance and belonging, when they feel they have a safe place to go. If you build relationships with families rather than constantly telling them what their child did wrong, Uh then they feel connected to you. They build a relationship with you and they feel safe enough to talk to you. Right. That buffers their toxic stress. So relationships buffer stress. Uh The number one thing is relationships. You can give them resources and you teach about child development. You teach, you give tip sheets about child development. You give trainings. All of those things buffer the toxic stress of what the adult's going through. Mm -hmm. Because every adult needs not only a safe place, but they need a place to go in times of need. And if you're that place, but many teachers, every time a parent picks them up, they spend this time talking about what the child did that's bad and wrong. And then if that parent is experiencing trauma and all you're doing is talking about your child did this, your child did Mm -hmm. that, it's causing more toxic stress for the parent. Right. And I think that educators, especially in the preschool years, because we're the first teachers of most children, parents are often looking to us like, I, I don't know about child development and yes. you do. So please help me. And, and that relationship is so important. And, and that is just such a such a core belief in our schools that relationships and attachment are really key right. to everything. Everything. Right. That is everything. Let's stop for a moment. 
So, Julie, what are some your top tips for how to deal with a child who's experienced trauma? Ah, top tips. Well, if I had just a minute to share some top tips, I would say a calm, regulated adult who's not reactive, not hovering over the child, not directing and correcting the child. Really, a t- what we call attunement, which is getting your body non-verbally, your voice really conveying the message to a child that I'm here for you. You're safe. There's nothing dangerous mm-hmm. through your nonverbal, your voice, your tone, that strategy right there. Imagine back. I'm going to have you imagine this for a second. If I handed you a crying infant mm-hmm. who was just born on the planet and you were holding that crying infant, what would you do to comfort the infant? Hold that baby. You'd hold the baby. What would you say to the baby? Just out of the top of your head, what would you say? When you're you're okay, like, you're you're okay. okay. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. What you did right there is what you do with children. You might not be able to hold a four or five-year-old and rock them, but you're going to... The same thing, which is getting the prosody of your voice to be that voice that you use with infants. Uh You're okay, Spoobala. You're okay, sweetie. Everything's fine. There's nothing dangerous. You're here with me now. I'm here to keep you safe. So a lot of children who are re-experiencing trauma in the classrooms or in your homes internally feel unsafe. So the first Mm. thing we need to do is get our bodies to a place where we're conveying a message you're safe. The second thing is sometimes that doesn't work because it's the adults that trigger the child, right? Adults Mm. are unsafe. For example, um, I worked with a group of people who had a foster child who'd been through 20 foster care placements by the age of five. Oh my gosh. Finally was adopted by two moms. Yeah. And can you imagine what drop off and pick up was like for this child? The trauma triggers and reminders. Every time the child was dropped off, the child would be Come triggered, but the adults would say, Oh, I learned from Julie's trauma trainings that I'm supposed to use my relationship to come and make the child feel safe. Let me hug and hold the child. But guess what? Adults triggered (laughs) because adults are the ones that abandoned me. So it couldn't be the safe person. So we decided, and it couldn't be a safe place because that's the second trauma sensitive strategy carve out safe places in your home, Mm -hmm. safe places in your classroom where children can get away to re regulate. Mm So safe persons and places, but if the child was offered and invited to go to the safe place to calm down, that was abandonment. So Uh, guess what we came up with? A safe object. Uh The moms gave the child the key to their home and said, we can't get into our home Mm -hmm. without coming to pick you up first. So this child held this object. It was the only thing that kept that child regulated all day. So every child, every adult needs their own emergency first responder kit. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs something when they are spinning out of control, feeling Mm -hmm. unsafe or triggered emotionally. Mm -hmm. We all either need a toolbox of safe people that Mm -hmm. we go to. And for the child in a classroom, it's a teacher or at home, it's the parent or a caregiver. Mm -hmm. And we need a safe place. Some of you, it's your bed at home. You shut your door. You're safe there. Some of you, it's a store you go to. It's the beach. It's your car. It's a closet. It's um, (laughs) For a child, it might be a place you carved out in the classroom that you call your safe place that only one child's allowed to go. Uh And it could be a safe activity. Some of you out there go exercise or Mm -hmm. you meditate or you pray or for some of the children, it's squeezing a ball. It's going for a walk. It's pushing hand push handprints on the wall. It's drawing, it's coloring, it's climbing. It's um, these activities Mm -hmm. that calm the regulatory system, like Mm -hmm. olfactory or tactile or proprioceptive, which is kind of climbing and jumping and pushing. All of these kinds of activities can help calm the regulatory system. So we need safe person, safe places, or safe objects, or safe activities. And for many children, it's a blanket or a teddy bear, right? right. Okay. 
So, Julie, if we have a child who's just ex- has experienced a trauma, it's very recent, what would you suggest our course of action would be? I think it's number one most important to not sweep it under the rug, to not not talk about it, to pretend it didn't exist, or even worse, to say, oh, they're too young to be affected. Mm. All children's sensory systems can be affected by trauma. We have a three-month window to help them be able to express their feelings so that it doesn't store in their body and have those long-term adverse effects. So I think it would be really pertinent to know the top things that you can do to support kids to heal. One is to find ways to talk about it with a child or find a professional that can help your child talk or non-verbally communicate. Many children I work with because I'm also a therapist and I have a, a very small private practice and I work with kids who've experienced trauma. And one of the things that's really important is a lot of kids communicate to me through the sand tray, through play, mm-hmm. through dolls, and they reenact the story. And while I'm listening, they're actually having a witness see how they felt and mm-hmm. what they experienced. And that's very healing. Kids need to shake, cry, talk, non-verbally communicate. That's how we help them heal. But sometimes as an adult, it feels scary because one, we think they're too young to know, mm-hmm. or we think that it's better to sweep it under the rug or not speak about it. But it is important to learn the right tips on how to talk. There's a great app that I would recommend. One app is called Help Kids Cope. It's designed to assist parents or teachers in talking to children about what happened after a disaster, like a natural disaster. So if a hurricane or a fire or an emergency like that. It gives you tips. You put in the age of the child and it gives you all the tips about how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. The second thing I'll do is I will send you top tips for what to do after an emergency that might, that you might be able to look at on the um, old firehouse schools website posted with this podcast. Um, But most important thing is the child goes back to normalcy. Mm -hmm. The parent, same tips I gave earlier, the parent goes find help somewhere else, doesn't fall apart in front of their child, doesn't use the child to regulate themselves. Oh, sweetie, I'm going through so much. I can't Uh, handle it. The child feels dysregulated because they use the adult as a marker as to whether Mm -hmm. they feel safe. So the adult has to go get help. So the adult being calm and regulated and safe, go back to your typical routines Mm because children start to feel safe again when they go back to their routines and Mm -hmm. there's predictability and a place to talk about it to cry, to shake, to communicate what happened to them is very important in the healing process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting. That point about the adult being calm is important. And it's not that you have to pretend nothing's wrong. You can still say, oh, that was you know scary when we had to the earthquake, but we're okay now and yeah. we kept each other safe. But it doesn't mean that you're negating what you experienced also, but you're also not flooding the child with your with own emotions, emotions. Scary feelings. Yeah. Right. There is a great book out called Once I Was Very, Very Scared. Oh, yes. By Chandra Gosh Ippen. That's particularly related to trauma. It has animals in it that, mm-hmm. like the elephant, when it gets scared, one elephant, one animal freezes and the other fights and barks really loud. Those are like trauma triggers. Right. And the other one just goes and runs away because it's so scared and the kids can relate to it. That's a really good book. If if a child experiences a death, mm-hmm. um, there's a really good book for young preschool children called When Dinosaurs Die. Mm-hmm. That's a book that describes death. Uh-huh. For children who have lost, there are uh, several other books I can send you to have you post on your website. We'll put all those in our show notes so you'll yes. be able to find yeah, that great. information. That great. So, Julie, we've heard a lot about trauma. I guess my question is, do you believe children can really, really recover from trauma? Oh, absolutely. 
There's a concept called neuroplasticity, and all brains are designed to be rewired. The way we heal brains, the way we buffer stress, the way we create new experiences is this concept of building resilience. And the way we build resilience is all the things we talked about in this podcast. One is teaching kids about sensory and emotional literacy, teaching them to build a self-regulation toolkit, teaching them to problem solve, right? But also creating safe, predictable environments, nurturing responsive relationships, and all of those things buffer the toxic stress, but also build new neurosynaptic connectors. Because if I've been harmed in a relationship, what's the only thing that can heal that harm? Another relationship, just one relationship where it's actually safe, Mm -hmm. where you're not hurting me, can actually rewire my brain. And Dr. Bruce Perry, um, if any of you end up friending me on my professional Facebook, Julie Kurtz, you'll see that I posted an article from Dr. Bruce Perry, one of the leaders in the trauma field. He says it just takes four micro doses a day of connection and attunement with a child Mm -hmm. to rewire their brain. So we can look for that article on my Facebook that I posted because it's not complicated. Right. It's just these simple strategies that actually rewire the brain to be able to feel safe again. And I'm living proof of this, Mm -hmm. right? Um, My healing began later in life. And so if any of you as adults have experienced trauma, I want to let you know that I'm living proof of rewiring my brain, healing, building resilience internally. And all of those same strategies is what did it for me. So there's hope for adults. There's hope for children. We just need to learn and gain those simple strategies and all of them we talked about in this podcast. And if you want more information, you can go to either my website at www.juliekurtz.com. You can go to my website, www.optimalbrainintegration.com. I have tons of resources on trauma. Friend me on Facebook, Julie Kurtz, or on my Instagram, Julie Ann Kurtz. And I promise you, you'll, you'll see all things posted that might help you in this journey of healing. Thank you so much, Julie. We're going to use that information and I think our audience will too. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Alex. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. And thank you for the listeners to Fireside Chats on the Young Mind. Hello, my name is Teddy, and thank you for listening, and I hope you can subscribe for podcasts.